0: Sam's not seen that before, so you may have heard him in the front row, but uh, hey, uh, we're uh, glad that you're here, and uh, today, you know, I don't normally uh, love, love doing this, but today is uh, one of those days where, uh, if you will with me, we want to just take a collective kind of deep breath in. Do it with me. All right, today uh, we are talking about money and generosity, and uh, I can assure you it is going to be Okay. um, We we do this every so often, and uh, I'm going to do my best to be uh, faithful to God's word and not intentionally offend you. Um, I I may accidentally do that, but it won't be intentional. And uh, I want you to kind of approach God's word uh, with the idea of uh, not taking offense. And so uh, we're going to talk about this is just one of the the journeys that we're on uh, as a church family. We're going to connect it a little bit uh, to the commitment card Uh, that's in your bulletin. We'll we'll talk about this more later, and now is the time to, and all of that stuff. So let's go ahead and pray, and then we'll get into it, all right? Heavenly Father, we thank you uh, for Jesus. We thank you for his example of generosity. Uh, We just want to uh, be more and more like him. It is in his name that we pray, amen. There's a story about a businessman uh, that was in a, a great deal of trouble. His business was failing Uh, He'd lost a whole bunch of money in the market and uh, he was feeling despondent and didn't know what to do. And so he went to his pastor for help and his pastor said, listen, um, you've made some financial mistakes. I really don't know exactly how to instruct you, but let me kind of give you this as a spiritual guide. So I want you to take your lawn chair to the beach. I want you to sit in the beach open up your Bible, wait for a wind to blow in and kind of blow the pages. And when the wind stops, whatever page that you're on, look down and I really believe that's gonna be the answer to your financial troubles. And it seemed kind of crazy to the guy, but uh, he agreed that he would do it and about a year passed. And uh, he comes and he meets with his pastor again, and he pulls up in this brand new car. He's got a custom kind of tailored suit. Uh, His kids and wife are all looking great. They're looking healthy and good. And uh, the the pastor sees him and says, well, it seems like things have turned around for you. And he says, yeah, I followed your advice. He says, well, tell me about it. He said, I took my lawn chair. I went to the beach. I set up that lawn chair. I sat down with my Bible open. I waited for a wind to blow in, and uh, it it began to blow the pages, and uh, where it landed. Landed, I, I looked down, and it gave me life-changing advice that has just changed my world completely. And he said, well, what did you see? What verse did you read? And he said, here's what I saw, chapter 11. Um, and and there, is, there, there is a little bit to that. If you have your Bibles, actually, I want you to open up to 1 Timothy, uh, 1 Timothy 6, all right? So like I said, we've been in this series for a while about uh, the journeys that, that we're on and uh, about the things, uh, the, the ways in which we want to be like Jesus. Our vision statement is on the screen for you. It's that we want to be a growing family, journeying together to be more like Jesus. And we've talked about sharing our faith and we've talked about our relationships with each other. And today we want to talk about this element of being like Jesus and our generosity, Uh, Because Jesus was, is, and will always be very generous. And so if we're going to be a a family journeying together and becoming more like Jesus, um, we want to figure out this generosity piece of our life. And here's what is true, and you've probably noticed this as well, is I think everyone wants to be more generous. I have yet to have a sit-down meeting with someone where they're like, could you help me be more stingy? (laughs) Could you help me to be less generous, right? Everybody wants to be more generous. Just for some of us, like the man in our story, something is holding us back from being able to be as generous as we want to be. But everyone wants to be generous. And it might be something practical, like the guy in the joke, uh, something practical like debt. And it's like, man, I'd love to be more generous, but uh, this debt is holding me back. If I didn't have it, uh, I, I uh, I could be more generous. For some of us, it might be something like cash flow. And like, man, if I made more money, if I, uh, if I had more money, I could be more generous. For some of us, it might be like bills in general, that man, uh, if I didn't have all of these bills, I could be more generous. For some of us, it might be a time thing, that I'd like to be more generous with my time, but I just don't have enough time in the week, and something is holding us back. And, and here's the thing, you could go to Amazon.com later today, And you could find lots of books to help us with the long-term gain on this. Books about reducing debt. Books about making more money. That's about reducing bills. uh, Books about all of of that stuff. But here's the thing, and that would help us someday, and those books are valuable, but here's the deal. Most of us wanna be more generous today, not, not just someday. And so we need some help on that. And what I want to do today is, is very, very simple, is uh, I want to, I want, we're going to look at First Timothy, th- Timothy 6, and I want to kind of give us a theological undergirding a theological understanding of generosity that might, if we can understand this principle about God and about his character, this might help us to unlock the door of generosity. Not, not someday, although maybe you do need to reduce, reduce debt, maybe you do need to make more money, maybe you do need more time and all that. Um, maybe that's true, but this will help us. I think this one principle that Paul's gonna teach us will help to unlock the door to generosity today. 1 Timothy 6, starting in verse 17. that is truly life. I love how Paul starts this out. Command those who are rich in this present age and all of us breathe a sigh of relief because that's not us, right? We are not the rich. And I will tell you that if I were to kind of pull this audience about what does it mean to be rich in this present age, all of us would have a different standard for what that looks like. I remember uh, growing up, one of my best friends, they, they had a pool at their house and I remember going to their house uh, multiple times this summer and thinking, they're rich, right? Um, they're rich. They have a pool. And some of you maybe have a pool, and you're going, no, that doesn't mean you're rich, right? But, but that was my, my kind of uh, thought as I was growing up. Maybe for you, it's a certain kind of house or a certain kind of car or a certain type of vacation or a certain lifestyle. And you have this thing that you would say, this is what it means to be rich. But for most of us, it's a dollar amount. You know, they've actually done some studies on this. I've shared this with you before, but most people identify rich. If you were to kind of, if we were to pull this audience and say, what does it mean salary wise, your take home pay, what does it mean to be rich? Most people would identify rich as 20% more than they currently make, All right? It's across the board. So if you're making $40,000, rich for you is someone making 48 to $50,000, if you're making $100,000, rich to you is $120,000, and it goes on and, and on. But here's, here's the facts, and this, this might shock you because it shocked me when I read this. If you have a household income of $47,000 a year, you are in the top 4% of wage earners in the world. Congratulations, you're rich. You didn't even know it. when you That, that was worth the price of admission today, wasn't it? You just found out you're rich, right? A lot of you found, just found out that you're rich, and you had no idea. But and listen, that, that is not for us to feel bad about or to feel guilty about, right? If, if you earn forty seven thousand dollars or more, don't don't feel bad or guilty about that. That that's not the point of it at all. The point of us point of it is that Paul's uh, advice for us, Paul's advice in this text, is for us as Americans. Right? Americans have done very well financially, and I believe Paul is writing this to us. And so his, his advice is really simple. He says, don't be arrogant. So, so if, you, if you're rich, right, and, and almost everybody in America, you, you know, in some way has been blessed this way and, and, and uh, could be considered rich in, in multitude of ways. So his advice is, don't be arrogant. Arrogance is an attitude about your wealth that says, I did this. I built this, I made it happen. Do you remember a few years ago, our country actually had a debate about this a few years ago now, uh, back when President o- Obama was still uh, in, in office. And you remember he kind of made that statement. Uh, I think he was uh, doing a stump speech and he, he made this statement about a lot of you say that I built this, I built my business. And then he said, you remember what he said? You didn't build that right? And uh, his point was uh, that the government helped people and gave them loans and all sorts of stuff. But do you remember people were offended by by this idea? And they started wearing shirts that said, uh, I built it. Uh, I, I built this. And while I understand where people are coming from, and I understand why that's a controversial statement, to be honest with you, this is the exact attitude that Paul is warning us about. It is an attitude of arrogance that says, I did it. I built it. I made it happen, it happened because of me. And Paul wants us to see that everything we have is not because of the government, and everything we have is not because of me and my effort. Everything we have is because of God. You guys were a little slow on that, we're in church. God's always the right answer, <laughs> right? Everything I have is because of God, and, the, and so, that's what made the ensuing debate uh, so silly. It's like, well, who really built it? Did the government built it or did the individual build it? Neither built it, right? Paul's point is that God built it, that God gave us the ability to earn. God gave us the giftedness. God did all of it. It's because of him. It is the God of heaven and earth who created us and gifted us and gave us, uh, gave us motivation and all of this stuff. And I believe if our country stopped having a silly debate about who built it, the government or the individual, and began to accept the idea that God built it, right? God is the center of our universe and God is the center of our lives. If we would stop having these silly debates and bow to the creator of heaven and earth, our redeemer, that our country would be in a lot better place. So we need, Paul says, to stop being, we need to stop being so arrogant, about what we have and how we got it and who earned it and all of this stuff. This is why whenever Jesus, you can kind of go back and look at this. Whenever Jesus tells a story about money and Scott was right in in offering, you uh, you cannot walk away from reading the Bible without understanding that Jesus talked a lot about this subject. He told a lot of stories about money. And whenever he did, there is an owner and there is a steward. Right, There is an owner and there was a steward. Spoiler alert, the owner is not you. The owner is not me. The owner is God. The steward is you. The steward is me. We are accountable to the owner. And we have just lost our perspective on this. Uh, as Americans, we have lost our perspective on this. Entering into these silly debates about who earned it, who, who made it happen. God made it happen, and we need to return to him and bow our knee to him and stop being so arrogant. So he says, don't be arrogant. He also writes, also don't put your hope in wealth. Jesus talked about this one time. He said, Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth, where moth and vermin destroy, and where thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where moth and vermin do not destroy, and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. The eye is the lamp of the body. If the eyes are healthy, your whole body will be full of light. And if your eyes are unhealthy, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light within you is darkness, how great is that darkness? No one can serve two masters. Either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. Jesus knew there was going to be this battle in our spirit and in our soul between two masters. The two masters are are Jesus... And believe it or not, money. And rich people like you and me, we understand the battle better than most because there is a tendency in all of us, just living in America, there is this tendency in all of us to put our hope in our wealth. So there's an interesting thing that, that we all tend to have this number about uh, wh- what number would truly make us happy. And like I said earlier, that number for most of us is about 20% more than we have, just statistically across the board. It's like clockwork. About 20% more than you have. You're like, That's, that would make me happy. That would make me content. That would give me joy, hope, and, and, and peace. And it's a, it becomes a number that we can almost turn to. Um, as, a, as a little G God. that we hope, man, if I made $75,000 or if I made $100,000, if I made this amount of money, then I'd really be fill in the blank and it can, it can become uh, this little G God. And here's what's silly about this whole thing. Here's what's true about your, whatever your number is. Somebody else passed that number a long time ago. And you know what they discovered that they would love to teach you? When they passed that number, they were not any more joyful, peaceful, or content, because you know what happened to them? They got a new number. When they hit your number, if your number is seventy-five thousand, if I could just make seventy-five thousand, I'd, I'd have joy, hope, and peace. Somebody, somebody in this room, a while back, they hit seventy-five thousand, and you know what they started saying? if I could just have a hundred thousand dollars, right? This is not, my point is this is not a God that satisfies. This is a God that will take and take and take and and demand us to bow down uh, more and more and more. And there are people in this room, whatever your number is, they could teach you this lesson. And I I hit that number and it wasn't joy, hope, and peace. It It was just a new number because our joy, hope, and peace is supposed to come from God. And here's what he says. Don't don't put your hope in wealth. And I love what Paul says here. He says, which is so uncertain. It's uncertain, isn't it? I, when I was growing up in my young adult years, you know what they used to teach me? You can't go wrong putting money into a house, right? You'll never get hurt on a house, right? You buy a house, you can't get hurt on a house. And then multiple years ago, the housing market collapsed you know what they used to say? You can't get hurt in the stock market. You put money in the stock and then the great depression happened, right? And like, oh, you can get hurt. In the stock. That this, this whole thing, it, I, I'm depressing some of you. I'm sorry. I'm not trying to. I'm trying to get to see. It is so uncertain and as such, it is not something to build your life on. It is not something to make your life all about. It is fragile. And because of that, if it becomes a little G God, because it's so fragile, when it falls apart, you fall apart. And that's the dangerous thing about making money a a God. And so Paul writes to Timothy and all the rich people, all of us in the room that are rich. Um, I love saying that, sorry. But he says, we're not going to put our hope in wealth. What we're going to do is we're going to put our hope in God. And here's his reasoning. We're going to put our hope in God who richly provides everything for our enjoyment. We're going to put our hope in a God who provides. We've already talked about how money takes and takes and takes. You've got a number in mind. You hit that number, you get a new number. It never satisfies. It never, it is uncertain. We, we've talked about all that stuff. He says, no, we're going to put our hope in God who provides everything uh, for our enjoyment. So Paul is talking to a young pastor here in an affluent part of the world. And here's a, his advice to give to his congregation. Trust God trust God. He richly provides. This is part of the the character of God. And this is the key. I'm giving you the key right now to to understanding generosity. The key to understanding generosity is understanding that we have a providing God. We have a providing God. So you don't have to be scared about generosity. You don't have to be intimidated by generosity. You don't have to be angry about generosity. When the preacher gets up and says, we're talking about money, you don't have to get angry because you have the key. You have the key. It is understanding that we have a God who richly provides. And you see it all throughout Scripture. You see it in the garden. We tend to get hung up on the one tree in the garden that God said, don't eat, don't eat from that tree, right? Don't, don't eat from that one tree. But think about the hundreds or thousands of other trees that would not result in death that were pleasing to the eye and good for food and beautiful and all of that. Adam and Eve needed to learn this, that God wasn't trying to keep something from them. God had something for them, and he had richly provided all of these trees for their benefit and for their good. God is generous. Later in Scripture, when God's people were in slavery— Right. They discovered that God was going to provide them water in the desert to, eat, uh, to to drink and manna and quail to eat. And God just was extravagantly generous with them. He provided for their needs. In the New Testament, when God saw us separated from him because of our sin, it says he provided for us a sacrifice, one for all, in his son Jesus. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. And I am telling you the absolute key to generosity is understanding that we serve a generous and providing God. Several years ago now, I've told you this story before, but it was such an interesting lesson to Cheryl and I about some of the minute ways in which God provides for us. Uh, several years ago now, we were going through a really rough season. This was uh, before Sam, before Lila, before kids, and we were just going through a really kind of discouraging season. And we we're like, man, it would be nice to be able to get away just, just for a day or so, to get away from all of the stress and all of the difficulty. And uh, later that week, one of Cheryl's coworkers came up to her and said, Listen, my daughter works for the NCAA, and Michigan State, this was uh, the tournament time for the NCAA tournament, says, Michigan State's playing in St. Louis. She's given me tickets. I'd like to give them to you. He said, we'd like to receive them. <laughs> so he, 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 gave it, he gave us tickets to this game, and they were, they were fantastic tickets. They, they really were fantastic tickets. And um, so then also later that week, somebody came up to us just randomly, somebody from church here, and said, hey, I've been thinking about you guys, praying for you. I want to give you a Cheesecake Factory gift card. We'd like to receive it. Right? We, we'll, we'll, we'll take that. You know, we, we love cheesecake, and there's one in St. Louis. So this, uh, this uh, uh, trip, this getaway trip, was already kind of starting to take form with the game uh, and uh, then also with the cheesecake. And uh, then we said, all we need is a hotel room, just, just a hotel room. So we lined up our hotel room. We drove out to St. Louis, and uh, we, we get uh, to the front desk, and they say, man, we're really sorry we've given the room that you reserved away. Um, We we just so overbooked because of the game and we gave the room away to make it up to you We want to put you for free in the presidential suite of this hotel And it was just one of those things we needed we needed some time so badly And it was just one of those times in our life and I I could tell you a couple more stories, but um, Sometimes people end up hating me as the result of these stories, so I don't tell them very often but um, and because I, I, I don't want you to hate me. And it's not like this happens every week, but it was just a season of our life that was so difficult and so painful. And it's like there was a little whisper from God saying, I'll provide for you. I'll provide for you. I care about the little things. You need, you need a night away? I care about that. I, I'm gonna provide this for you. And it was one of those times where we realized that we serve a generous and providing God. And here's why, here's why I say this is such a key is that when you don't understand that God is a providing God and you feel like God is calling you to give or do something, God's calling you to give or help a friend or God's calling you to give or, or help at, at church or, or, or uh, uh, to, to just be a faithful week after week in your giving, whatever the case may be, here's what we typically, here's what holds us back sometimes, is if I give, then I won't, right? If I give, I won't be able to pay my rent, If I give, I won't be able to cover my house payment. If I give, I won't be able to, I won't have enough for groceries, whatever whatever the case. And Paul right now is trying to take this concern off the table. And he's saying, you serve a generous, good God who, is, who, is, uh, who provides everything for your enjoyment. You can trust him. When he whispers to you to give, when he whispers to you to contribute, when he whispers to you to make a difference, you can follow through in faithfulness on that um, because he is a good, generous God. And so Paul is trying to, I think the biggest obstacle, the biggest obstacle of all is, if I, then I won't. And he's saying, no, you don't have to worry about that. You serve a good, generous, faithful God who is going to take care of your needs, who's gonna provide for you. So Paul is kind of opening us up to this idea that we can just be faithful, right? We don't have to be held back by worry, which I think is probably the number one thing when it comes to generosity. For me, I tend to be a worrier, right? Make an Olympic sport out of worry, and I gold medal it, right? I promise you. So I, I tend to be a worrier, and worry can hold me back. But God is trying to remove that obstacle, say, no. Be trust in me I'm faithful I, I, I'm, I'm here with you and our church has just experienced that I'll tell you when you enter into a, a kind of a capital campaign like we did a few years uh, like three years ago um, pastors can have a lot of even though we felt like God was leading us to renovate our building and make changes here and do all this stuff even though we, we were certain that God was calling us to it there still is a man if we invest that kind of money into the building then we won't and God has demonstrated to us over the last couple years that, that he has, he's been faithful, that we've been able to pay cash for these renovations um, because of your generosity. Our, our church understands generosity pretty well, I think, that because of your generosity, we've been able to pay cash uh, for the renovations and also continue to make a difference in the lives of people, in the families at Oak Grove, in our missions, still been able to continue doing our giving. And so that, that worry of if we then we won't Again, it turns out not to be true, that God is a faithful, faithful, good God. And so he says this interesting thing. He says, when you take the step to be generous, when I take the step to be generous, Paul says this thing. He says, you are laying up treasure for yourself as a firm foundation in the age to come. Let me read that again. When you practice generosity, you are laying up treasure for yourself as a firm foundation in the days to come. Say, what does that mean? I don't know, but but it sounds awesome, all right? It it sounds awesome. I really, nobody knows what it means. Um, it, It certainly sounds like Jesus has some reward in the afterlife in mind for those that are generous, That generosity is so core to who God is. He says, I will reward in the next life, I will reward generosity. I will reward those that stepped out on faith and made a difference. I will, and somehow you will store up for for yourself a a treasure as a firm foundation that you should come that somehow God rewards generosity. But Paul also says, man, also the other thing that you're doing is you're taking hold of the life that God has in store for you. And this isn't talking about someday. This is talking about today. So he says, when you walk into generosity, when you live in generosity, he says, you are storing up for yourself kind of future blessing, but you're also receiving a blessing today. You are taking hold of the life God has in store for you. In other words, the life that God has in store for you is a generous life. It is. It is. This is so core to who God is that he says, man, when you practice generosity, you are living the life I have in store for you. So he says, there's a future blessing and a local blessing. And um, I am always kind of suspicious of stories like the one I'm about to tell you, but I have, I have grown to really appreciate the preacher that told this story. And so I, I really believe that it's true. Uh, but th- this, uh, this preacher in uh, Texas tells a story of uh, before he was pastoring a local church, he was a traveling preacher. In other words, he'd go from church to church to church. And on one particular month, um, he only had one church on the books for the entire month. And he's like, man, how am I going to pay my bills? How am I going to make it? I only have one church on the books. What what am I going to do? And so he goes and he preaches for this church. There's about 80 people in the room. And he's like, I'm dead financially, right? I'm just dead. I'm I'm not going to make it. And they're they're not going to be able to provide enough. And that church, they collected that offering And it it met all of his monthly needs for that month, this little church of 80, which I have found to be true. Some of these little churches are the most faithful, giving, generous people. But um, they, they met all of his monthly needs. And so he took that check. He was so excited for what God had done. And he was talking to the pastor of that church where he was the guest preacher. And over the pastor's shoulder, he saw a visiting missionary that had given a report in the service that night. And he just felt the Holy Spirit kind of whisper in his ear, give him the check. And he said I immediately said to God, I don't want to. <laughs> and God God again I, give him the check. And so finally he was like fine and he endorsed the check and he, he gave it to the missionary kind of begrudgingly but but he did that. And after after the service he was out to lunch with three couples from this church. And uh one of the the men in the couple said, "Hey, how'd the love offering go tonight?" And Robert Morris said, "Well, it went well and he said can I see the check and Robert Moore said I know preachers are not supposed to lie but I just lie I said my wife has it and he says well she's eating right over there will you go get it from her and so he walked over to his wife kind of whispered something in her ear and walked back and said she says it's in the car and this guy says it's not in the car I know what you did You know, I I know that you gave that money away. And he proceeds to hand him a check for 10 times his monthly expenses, right? And that does not happen every time. It doesn't, right? Don't let any prosperity preacher talk you into that happens every time. That does not happen every time. Sometimes faithfulness is just faithfulness. And the furnace still breaks down. The air conditioner still breaks down, right? But I do want you to see this, to understand that God is a providing God it's in his nature. It is in, it is in his nature. And so my, my take home with you, and we'll talk about the commitment card in your bulletin in just a minute. Here's my take home to you. There's, not, there's this is no preacher ploy. This is none of that sort of thing. Because we believe God is a calling God and a providing God, here's my big ask for you right now, is when it comes to your family, when it comes to your job, when it comes to this church family, when it comes to all of that, all I want you to do is Pray to spend some time this week praying about, God, how do you want me to be generous? How do you want me to be generous at work? How do you want me to be generous with my family? How do you want me to be generous uh, with the people I'm around each day? I want you to pray, and then I want you to do what he says. So the praying part's easy. Yes, it is. Pray, and then do what he says. And he said, well, that sounds irresponsible. It is only irresponsible if we don't have a providing God, which we do. Because we have a providing God, I would use a different word. It's not irresponsible. This is my preacher thing. Give me a preacher moment, just for a moment. It's not irresponsible, it's obedient, right? It's obedient, and so that's all I'm asking you to do, and when it comes to the commitment card, you probably saw this about now is the time too. I wanna to point out kind of two quick things on this. Um, one is that you'll notice now is the time one was a two-year campaign. Uh, because it was a bigger project, we needed more money. Uh, You will notice that this is a six-month campaign uh, that we're trying to do, to do Now Is The Time To uh, to finish getting all of our kids' ministry under one check-in, to renovate our downstairs youth ministry, which desperately needs it. They have grown out of their space already since we did the few things that we've already done. They've already grown out of their space, and they need more. And um, so it, it's, a, it's a six-month campaign. We think it's going to be in the neighborhood of about $100,000. And there's no—we're going to turn these in on October 13th. Here's what I'm asking you to do between now and then. Pray. Just pray about your part right just pray about your part and then we're going to turn these in uh you can do it for 24 weeks you can do it for 6 months and i believe while well, it's a smaller project and we were really really technical on this we were like well last time we put about 500,000 into the building and that was for 2 years and we said what should we do when we need 100,000 and one of us brilliant brilliantly said we should do about 6 months <laughs> and that's how we reached this decision It was pretty simple, basic math, all right? And so it's just gonna be a little six-month campaign. We believe God has called us to finish this project. We believe God's in the middle of it. And all we wanna do is just pray over these cards and ask God, what would you have us to do? Um, And listen, I I don't wanna let any time lapse and pass without saying this, that you have all been so incredibly faithful with this. I know this is what tears me up sometimes. I know some of you are of an age where you don't have kids in youth ministry anymore, um, and you don't have little ones in the nursery, and you still gave. And that blows me away. Because I think the temptation would be to say, My time investing in kids' ministry has passed. My time investing in youth ministry has passed. But so many of you have said, No. I'm not gonna allow that to be my storyline. I'm gonna invest in the next generation. I'm gonna help create welcoming environments. We're, we're We're gonna make a difference here, so thank you for that. So that's the big ask about, not just the card, about life in general, is God's calling, I believe that, and God's providing. So what we wanna do, we're in the calling part of the task right now. God, what are you calling me to do? On this card, what are you calling me to do? At work, what are you calling me to do? In church, what are you call, God? What are you calling me to do? And pray and pray and pray. And when you feel like His Spirit is nudging or His Spirit is speaking, then obey. Obey. Do do what He asks you to do, because He is a providing, generous God. Let's pray, Heavenly Father. We thank you for Jesus, and we're going to enter into a time right now of uh, remembering how generous Jesus was. That he could have seen us in our sin, and he could have seen us separated from him, and he could have said, not my problem. The Father and I are good. Not my deal. He refused to say that. And he came from heaven to earth, and he sacrificed his own life for us. And we want to be like him. We want to be generous like him. We want to listen to your voice when you call. We want to walk in obedience when it's clear. We want to do what you want us to do. No thermometers on the stage, right? No cliche kind of fundraising tools. Just what are you calling us to do? Let us walk in obedience. It is in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.